I hope you'll be here in the coming weeks as we look at how Jesus selected his 12 disciples so that they could be with him, is what the text says. So even though Jesus was perfect, he wanted these 12 to be with him. He wanted companionship. He wanted to be in relationship. We're going to look at how Jesus, on the cross, puts John the apostle in charge of his mother. Jesus created the church. He said, as we saw last week, I will build my church. I want to talk to you a little bit about becoming family in these three or four weeks here in January and what Jesus actually bought for us when he died upon the cross. We've sung with such beautiful words the gospel message of the death of Christ, his resurrection, his ascension to glory, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for we who need him and for we who are enjoying the benefits of all that he did for us. Last week, we went to that famous text in Matthew 16, I will build my church, the great confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This week, I want us to revisit Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. There is a text there about husbands and wives. It's basically about marriage. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with families and children and employees and things like that in a very practical part of this letter to the church at Ephesus. But in this text, he compares marriage to Jesus and his church. So I'm going to do something that might be a little unusual this morning. I'm going to read the passage where he talks about Jesus and the church in the context of marriage, and then I want us to see what it means for the church, all right? So let's, let's look at the text, beginning in verse 25. Chapter 5, verse 25 of the book of Ephesians. I'm reading from the New International Version. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. People have been writing the obituary for the church for these 20 centuries, supposing that the church is going to languish and die. Some of us read the publication here this last week about the falling attendance in the church in these United States and how this author said it was bad for society, for people to go to church less, and he chronicles the reasons that it's bad for the culture, for people not to be going to church, because church attenders 
get in trouble less, go to jail less, have a job more, don't get into drugs as much as the general population. So he said it's good for the society for people to go to church. And I generally agree with what he's saying. But I also would add, that's not really the point about the church. The church is to be salt and light wherever it is planted. But the point about the church is that this is what God is doing in the world. Do you want to be part of what God is doing in the world? Jesus said, I will build my church. This is what God's up to in the world. That's really the point about it. And as we become family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and develop the relationships that are important to all of us. In fact, some people would say that to be a person is to be in relationships. They think that relationships are essential to personhood. Some people talk like that about your connections with one another. It's interesting how Jesus prepared us to be brothers and sisters in his body and in his family and how the family metaphor is frequently used to describe what happens in a family of faith, in a body of believers. I look at this text and I realize again that Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church. This is the word agape. The word for God's love in the New Testament. Christ loved the church. Be careful how you talk about the church. Christ loved the church. Be careful how you think about the church. Christ loved the church. Just as you would get upset if somebody began to run down your spouse and say mean things about the person you're married to, you ought to see how Jesus would react. Think how he would react to someone who is critical of and down on and speaks ill of his church. I will build my church. It is his church. I don't want to be nostalgic about the church and just think about how important it was to me as a child and every child ought to have it. I don't want to be just nostalgic about the church. I want to be real about the church. I want to know how it really is. And for these 20 centuries, since Jesus died upon the cross and his and his disciples gathered and saw him risen. The church has been a vital and alive part of human experience. And all over the world the church thrives and grows and, and does its work. Even right up to the present day. Jesus observed in his time that my father is at work to this very day. And I too am working. Christ loved the church. The word church is ekklesia. That's the common Greek word 
that's used to describe the church in the New Testament. It was actually taken from politics, where the city-states had their gatherings, and they called them the called-out assembly, the ecclesia, as they gathered to discuss community problems in the Greek city-states. And so it fit the church because the church is called out by her Lord. We do believe that we are to choose this day whom we will serve. We also believe the words of Jesus where he says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I sent out this call to you. And God acted first in his connection with you. He was the first one who sent his word to touch your heart. He was the first one to draw you unto himself. You have never gone before God. He has always gone before you in your relationship with him. Somebody said that when you look at the gate of heaven on this side, it says, whosoever will may come. And when you pass through and look back, it says, chosen from the foundation of the earth. Both things are true somehow in the economy of God in how he calls us and saves us. I want you to remember when you trusted Jesus as Savior back in that moment and the work that God was doing in your heart. When a child comes to trust Jesus as Savior, we look to see is the Holy Spirit at work in them? Do they have a sense of God stirring their heart? Because that's essential to our salvation. It's God who draws us. No one comes to the Spirit unless the Spirit draws them. That's what the Scripture says. So we look for the activity of God. You remember the activity of God in your life. You remember some high points spiritually where God suddenly made himself known to you in a powerful way, maybe in a hospital or in a funeral home or by the bedside of a loved one who was ill. Maybe in a crisis in your life and suddenly there was God. Think back to the ways that God has been at work in your life through his church. When somebody walks down this aisle to join the church, I tell them, this is God's activity in your life. I want you to see that God is at work in this because it is God's sovereign purpose. And it is his activity to join us to his body. So this is the activity of God that we are gathered here today. Christ loved the church, the called out assembly. If you believe that God is alive, you believe that he is at work in the world, if you believe those two things, then I want you to know this is the work of God. This is what God is doing in the world. Christ loved the church. Now, some people say, yeah, but that's not talking about the modern church. I was part of a home church once. Have any of you been part of a house church? Okay, several of you have. I mean, it was a great experience for me as a boy. My father was preaching every other week at the rescue mission in El Paso. I would go and sing, and dad would preach. And the four of us boys would get on our knees at the altar and pray with the people who responded to the gospel. That's how I grew up as a boy, 12, 13 years old. And every Sunday night we went to a house there in El Paso and we were part of a house church. 
And as a boy, I can remember mostly kind of running around the house because I had a little hard time paying attention all the time. But I know that my father was opening the scriptures. He was teaching the Bible there. They were discussing it in the living room of that home. There were about 20 people there. And it was a great experience. People will say, well, that's the church. See, the church doesn't need a building. Well, actually, the house churches do have a building, right? They have a house. And the church was so large in the first part of the book of Acts that they met in a huge porch called Solomon's Porch because for the thousands of people who were responding to the gospel, no house was big enough. The church in Ephesus grew fast enough that they eventually began to meet in a gymnasium in Ephesus. And so the church has used buildings. And actually, you're sitting in something of a typical experience of church through these centuries because the church has found it useful to own its own building. Some people might say, well, those churches didn't have pastors that got money to preach and all. Well, Maybe you can show that through the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was sort of bivocational. He, he worked at building tents, but he is the one who said the laborer is worthy of his hire. And he was talking about the people who taught the Word of God to the folks in the church. So you might want to, in your own mind, make a case for no buildings, no staff, no money, just me and a few others meeting and I've been there, and I did that. I think back on that as a very simple and beautiful experience. But there were some things that didn't happen in that house church. One of the things that didn't happen is I don't remember baptizing anybody. I don't remember taking up offerings. I think we had the Lord's Supper. But we weren't really organized to reach people for Christ in that little house church. When I first became a Baptist, I was not always a Baptist, like many of you. I came into Baptist life when I was already saved. When I became a Baptist, I heard the word organized as part of the definition of a church, and it intrigued me. And I thought about a church being organized. Does the word organized put you off? It sounds kind of mechanical, doesn't it? Maybe we would prefer for the church to be disorganized. But that doesn't sound very good either, does it? Would you like your church to be disorganized or you want it to be organized? Well, you've just sung what we're seeking to do in this organism, which is this body of believers. We're seeking to worship with our lives, which means we are 24-7 on mission for Jesus our Lord, okay? And we are accountable for every word and every deed. And we're not just worshiping at 9.30 on Sunday morning. We are worshiping when we go on care effect, when we go to our jobs, when we show up at school, when we are with our friends. We worship with our lives. God wants every part of us and all of us. It is a radical and full commitment to Christ that he calls for. He wants it all laid down for him. So we worship with our lives. We teach to transform. We have a goal in mind. We want folks to be transformed by the word. And we gather to go to the need. In other words, what happens in this room is intended 
to energize you so that when you show up at work, you are watching for the need the Holy Spirit wants you to address in the people around you. You are looking in your community for the place where you can be the hands and feet of Jesus. You're not only going to do words, you're going to do works. This will be part of who you are. We gather to go to the need. We show up in our community when people are hurting and desperate and hungry and we seek to demonstrate the love of Christ in those very practical moments. That's how we're organized. We disciple in motion. Christ loved the church. He said, I'm going to build my church. There's going to be a fiery, passionate purpose for my church. It's not going to be disorganized necessarily because it's going to have a direction. It's going to have a focus. It's going to be anchored in who I am and what I came to do, which is to seek and save that which is lost. So the church will be moving to seek and save that which is lost. Now, all churches have had faults and failures. But Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her according to this passage. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. He delivered himself over to the hands of sinful men who nailed him to a cross. He gave himself up. His life wasn't taken from him. He voluntarily gave it over. For whom? For us. For the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What a powerful thing Christ has done for his church. Now, he did this to make her holy. Christ is sanctifying his church. He is purifying his church. He is cleansing his church. That's what it says here. Christ is busy. Now, you may have experienced the sanctifying process, how Christ is making you holy personally. And you might think of the sanctification process as a very joyful thing, but think back to when you were a kid and your parents were sanctifying you. All right? Sanctification is not always pleasant. Sometimes it is uncomfortable, even painful. But it is the process by which Christ makes us like himself. It is instructional. For he cleanses his church by washing with the word. So we know that somehow in the church, in the brothers and sisters, in the family of faith, God is going to take his word and cleanse and sanctify and purify his church. How many Bible te teachers do we have in the room? All the way down from the preschool on up. Raise your hands up high, okay? All right. You see, we have many Bible study teachers in this church. Not just me, but many who spend an hour every week opening the Word and teaching and spend multiple hours preparing for that moment. The idea is that everybody will be interested in the Word of God because the Word is how Christ washes us, purifies us, and makes us holy. 
So we are centered in the Word of God. That's why I preach on a passage as I am doing week by week because this is how Christ grows us up and matures us and sanctifies us in His grace. He does it through the Word. I hope you have a plan this year for reading the Bible. If you don't, go to BibleGateway.com and choose one of those. It'll send you an email every day, and it'll remind you. I need that. You probably need that too, okay? It's simple as it can be. It's never been so simple as it is now. You can have the very text that you're supposed to read that day emailed to you. When you have a break at work, you can read it, and you can be in God's Word. It will help you grow. It will help you stay true to Him. It will keep you focused in what God's called you to do and to be. Christ sanctifies his church so that he might one day present her to himself. I can hear the bump, 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 bump. You know what that is, don't you? And those doors open a hundred times. <laughs> those doors open. And everybody in this room stands, and everybody looks toward those doors, because the bride is coming through, and when she steps through that door, she wants to be spotless, she doesn't want any wrinkles in her gown, she wants to be radiant as she's never been before. And I tell you, brides are beautiful. And they have a glow about them. The Apostle Paul says, this is what Christ desires for his church. He wants his church to be radiant. Not mully grubbing. Not always in the dust. Not always down about everything in the world. He wants his church to be a radiant bride. He wants the church to be spotless. So that every individual, every brother and sister in the body is working on being like the Lord. Confessing their sin. Receiving the cleansing that God gives every day. In a continuous process of forgiveness toward us. So that we can be his radiant bride. I was talking to a prospective deacon this week that will probably be ordaining in a few weeks. I said the most important thing for you as a deacon at First Baptist is that you live the Christian life. That you follow Christ in your words and your deeds. That you discipline your life so that you can be like him. Because that's what he's up to. He is busy in your life changing you from glory to glory into the image of his son. Not eradicating who you are, but maximizing the individual he created you to be through this process of sanctification. Christ loves his church so much, not only did he lay down his life for the church, but he feeds and cares for the church. Did you see those words? I mean, it's interesting. No one yet hated his body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. And so Christ is here today, feeding his church. The word cares for 
is too warm. Think about it, too warm. Like a hen gathering the chicks under her wings to warm them, to keep them warm. Like a mother wrapping her child in her arms to keep that child warm. He warms his church. I wish somehow we could feel that right now, together, individually, as a body, that Christ is holding us close. He is warming his church. He's caring for his church. Sometimes you mistakenly think that Christ has left you. No. You think he is far away. No. He is feeding and caring for you if you will let him. If you could leave today with the sense of Christ warming you, holding you close, caring for you like a mother cares for an infant in her arms, then you would have a true picture of your place and condition in the world. You would not feel alone. You would not feel forsaken. You would not feel deserted or afraid. But you would know this truth. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you when you go to bed, when you get up in the morning, when you sit down at the table, when you show up at work, when you go to class. I am with you. And I am caring for you perpetually. It is a beautiful thing God is doing in his church. Have you ever placed your faith in the Christ who not only went to the cross for you, but now seeks to care for you in this beautiful way? This would be the day to do it. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, we thank you for your presence here, for your love, for your church, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. We rejoice in these great truths. And we pray, God, that you will help us know that you are caring for us, that we will fill your arms around us today and every day. Lord, remind us again and again that we are the apple of your eye in the center of your heart. And you are gathering your church that you might receive glory from us, both now and forever. In Jesus' name.